quick question for you. Are you a Federal Access member yet? If you're a government contractor, you need a Federal Access account. You can get started today with a free membership. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Free members get access to about 20 documents and templates as well as our video playbooks. More importantly, this gets you in the RSM Federal ecosystem and makes you part of our community. So go grab your free account today at federal-access.com forward slash game changers. Now let's hop into this episode. The big question is this, if government contracting is supposed to be so easy, why do so many companies fail to win even a single contract while others dominate the market? That's the question and this podcast will give you the answers. In today's episode, you go one-on-one with best-selling author and master business coach Michael Lejeune to learn exactly how to take your government contracting business to the next level. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Game Changers for Government Contractors. My name is Mike Lejeune, and if you don't follow me on LinkedIn, I want to make sure that you go over there today and follow me on LinkedIn. We put out a lot of really great stuff out there, and I don't want you to miss any of that content. So let me hop into this episode and talk a little bit about the bid, no bid strategy. A lot of people come to me every single year asking questions about government contracting. How do I get better? How do I win more? How do I do this? How do I do that? And inevitably, one of the top questions is always around RFPs. And people will say, hey, Mike, I am responding to RFPs all the time. They take up a whole lot of our time and energy and resources, and we're just not winning. What is what is our problem? Why are we not winning? Can you look at our response? And before I even look at your response, I always have this question. So tell me this, do you know the clients that you're responding to these RFPs about? And they'll say, well, I don't, sort of maybe? Uh, well, that's not good. Okay. Is this the first time you've seen those RFPs? Usually that's the first time, you know, we've heard about this opportunity is when the RFP came out. Okay, so you don't know the agency very well. You don't have any intelligence on it. The first time you heard about it is when the RFP came out. Your chances are not very good. That's just the way it is. So it doesn't matter if you write a really great proposal. If you don't know that organization, you're already behind. You're you're already behind everybody else who's responding to that. So I'll say, hey, do you know who the prime is currently? Or do you know a contractor over there if it's not to recompete? Do you know anyone? Do you have any sort of intelligence on this thing? Nope, 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 nope. Do you know the small business rep? Do you know the contracting officer? Do you know a PM or a program manager? Anybody like that? Nope. Okay, well, if the answer is no to all of those questions, maybe you shouldn't be bidding on this thing. So what I typically recommend is you put together a list of questions. It can be really, really simple. It's based on your industry, and it's just a handful of questions that you ask yourself before you spend the time responding to these things. And guess what? Here's the cool thing. As you create this checklist of questions, you're also creating a roadmap basically of if I want to chase an RFP, I need to answer yes to as many of these as possible. So let's say, for example, that you come up with 10 questions and you can only say yes to two or three questions, then you probably only have a 20 or 30% chance of actually winning that RFP. Now, on the flip side, let's say you answer yes to nine out of the 10 questions 
questions? Well, now you've got a 90% chance, most likely, of winning this thing. It boils down to how you execute and communicate value in the RFP. And so if we can do that and run a process through every single RFP before you respond, now you know which ones have a greater probability of winning and which ones don't. Here's the thing. Just because you only answer two questions out of 10 with a yes doesn't mean you can't chase an RFP. You just have to look at the other eight questions and say, do we have a teaming partner that would fill those gaps? And so let's look at it from this perspective. And and I'll dive in on some of these questions here. Let's say that one of the challenges is making sure you have enough past performance. So if you don't have the relevant past performance for the opportunity, but you have a really strong teaming partner that does, now you get to check yes in that box. Okay, so that helps you move forward. Let's say you don't know the organization, but you have a teaming partner that does. You now get to check yes in that box. Let's say you don't have a status that is required. So let's say this thing is coming out SDVOSB and you're not SDVOSB, but now you have a teaming partner that is now you can check that box. And so teaming partners allow you to overcome a lot of these gaps. And so that's one of the reasons we highly stress when you're new to the market, you really look at teaming partners. Even if you've been in the market for several years, I personally feel like a lot of companies overlook a a strong teaming strategy. And a strong teaming strategy will not only help you overcome gaps, guess what teaming partners usually have? They usually have contracts with agencies you want to get into. And so they have intelligence on the ground. They know more about that agency than you. They have a relationship. They can help you get into those agencies. And then guess what? You will likely at some point have relationships with agencies that they don't. And so you can help them get into those. And now you're both winning more because you're leveraging each other to fill those skill gaps, knowledge gaps, training gaps, uh, staffing gaps, past performance gaps. You're helping each other with that. So now you can be more competitive. So that's a really important point. When you're building your bid, no bid strategy, just right next to the 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 question, if you answer no, do we have a teaming partner that fills this? Sometimes it might be two teaming partners that you have to work with, but do whatever you've got to do in order to make sure that you're not responding to things where you only have a 20 or 30% chance. We want to invest time in things where we have at least a 75, 80%, maybe even 90% chance of winning. And again, it only comes down to how well you write the RFP and communicate your value. So let's think through a few more of those areas. So I touched on past performance as one. So a lot of contracts will ask for three past performance examples. And when they're looking at those, they're not just looking at, have you done those jobs? Here's a couple of things they're looking at in past performance. Is it relevant? So let's say the job they're asking you to do is a $10 million a year job, and it's going to impact, say, 500,000 users. That's a pretty big job. And let's say you've only done jobs that are 100,000, maybe a million dollars a year, and they've only impacted a few thousand users. You don't have relevant past performance there because of the size and scale of the actual contract. So that'll kick you out. Even if you have three past performance examples and they're all small, they just don't add up. So if I'm a reviewer and I'm looking at this, I may say, I just don't know that they have the capacity to scale to do all of this type of work. Maybe you do, but but maybe they don't. So I'm looking for somebody that has a relevant past performance that's going to be equal or pretty close. So let's go back to the example here for a second. If this contract is $10 million a year and you've done an $8 million a year contract, okay, that's in the ballpark. But $100,000? 
that's not in the ballpark. So they're looking for you to be similar in size and scope. That's one thing they're looking for. They're also looking at, hey, have you done this for the government? Maybe you've only done this for commercial or maybe you've only done it for a hospital and they have a totally different type of thing. So is it a similar type of thing, deployment, whatever you want to call it, that they're actually comparing? Are we comparing apples to apples? Are we comparing apples to oranges with your past performance example? One of the other big things is, is it relevant in the sense of time? So a lot of them will say, hey, we need three examples in the last three years. So what if your example was nine years ago? It's not relevant. So you can't really use that one. So there's a handful of things like that that make your past performance not relevant. That right away could kick you out of competition, make you non-compliant, and make you need a teaming partner who has the size, scope, and time, You know, which is the big one, the time relevance that you need in order to be compliant on the RFP. That's just one item on here. Now we start to look at other things like, hey, do we have the staffing? Maybe it requires a PhD level staff person and you just lost that person or they just took another job or whatever. And it's really hard to find. I find that there are certain, uh, you know, certain industries, certain skills that are extremely difficult to staff. And so if you don't have that person on staff, if you don't have a contact for that person, you will absolutely need a teaming partner who has easy access to that person or else you'll win a contract and then you won't be able to perform on it. And that is not a good thing. So when you're going through, we're looking for all kinds of little things like that. Maybe one of the questions in the RFP is about location and they require that you be in the same state or within 20 miles of the location and you're not. Maybe you're all the way across the country or in another state or something like that. You're going to need a teaming partner. So there's all kind of little things like this that I really recommend you just sit down, go through the RFP, create your requirements matrix. And as you're creating that requirements matrix, once you get to the RFP phase, this is going to be extremely helpful to make sure you actually respond to everything. So you need to do that anyway, but go through, grab the big things that you know you need to make sure you're compliant on. And then you can map that and just say, Hey, we're yes, we're compliant. No, we're not. And that's a, that's a big deal. If you're not going to be compliant, you need to know that up front and you need to have a plan to mitigate that with a teaming partner. So let's look at another example here. So let's say that this opportunity had an industry day and you didn't go to it. That's a problem. So do you have a partner that went to the industry day? So see, there's a lot of little things like this that are very important when it comes down to writing your RFP. And so you need to make sure when you are looking at opportunities, you're not just looking at stuff that has come out as an RFP. You need to look at RFI, sources sought, all those types of things. You need to be talking to your contracting officers, PMs, small business office months in advance to see what kind of things are coming out so you can gather intelligence on it. So that's one of the big recommendations that I like to make is instead of just having a pipeline that is built on opportunities that are coming out on SAM, let's start to look at those and say, hey, let's get in with these organizations. Let's have conversations with them. Maybe we only scored a two out of 10 on our bid, no bid strategy. It doesn't mean we won't respond to this, but it means that if we want to be competitive with this organization, we need to get to know them. We need to map out the organization so that the next RFP that comes out, I can score an eight or nine out of 10 on my questions. And the odds are I'm going to have a 
much greater chance of winning those opportunities. So if you do that, I guarantee you it's going to help you down the road. It's going to make a massive difference. It may take a few months to implement this in your organization, but instead of spending the next six months spinning your wheels, responding to bad RFPs, you could spend the next six months focusing on getting to know your agencies better, getting to know the players at those agencies better, getting to know the opportunities in their roadmap better, and then positioning yourself with teaming partners that are already in those agencies, primes, uh, subs, all those sort of things, so that when the next RFP drops from that organization, you're ready, you're heard about it, you've talked about it, you've gone and visited with the customer about it, and you are ready to win that thing. So do this, and I guarantee it's going to improve your results. And if you have questions, You know how to reach me. We'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.